This is the last week in the holidays, so um, I'm not back in Hebrews yet. Next week we'll be back in Hebrews. We've got a couple more uh, sessions in Hebrews, and we'll finish that book. And then I'm thinking the Lord's guiding me to do uh, the book of John as a series, which will be great. But um, just we'll confirm. Um, as one reads Scripture... A lot of times, uh, and you've been to passages before, and then suddenly there's this passage that really hits you. Verses, I call them jumping verses. A verse jumps out at you. Well, I had one of those in this specific one in the book of Isaiah, and I know it's more Alan's territory here, but the Lord has given us his word, and he puts his word on our hearts. And so we're in Isaiah chapter 30. Um, in your Bibles, please, and I'd ask you to bring your, continue to be faithful in bringing your Bibles or your gadgets to church so that we can read God's Word together. But it's going to be Isaiah chapter 30. There's no way I can do this whole chapter today, but I'm going to specifically zero in on verse 18, and I just want to read that verse for you. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. So the Lord must wait for you to come to Him. So He can show you His love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for His help. You'll notice there are two words, wait there. Interesting. The Lord must wait for you to come to Him. And blessed are those who wait for His help. Interesting, we'll get there. Before we get to verse 18, I just want us to uh, read the whole of uh, Isaiah 30. Well, not the whole, we're going to read the first 26 verses together to give you a bit of background, and then we'll get to the passage itself. So, if you've got your Bible, just read uh, with me. I'm reading from the NLT, so if you want to um, just follow in your Bible. Let's read together. What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You have tried to hide in his shade. But by trusting Pharaoh, you will be humiliated. And by depending on him, you will be disgraced. For though his power extends to Zoan and his officials have arrived in Hanes, all who trust in him will be ashamed. He will not help you. Instead, he will disgrace you. This message came to me, that's the prophet Isaiah, concerning the animals in the Negev. The caravan moves slowly across the terrible desert to Egypt. Donkeys weighed down with riches and camels loaded with treasure, all to pay for Egypt's protection. They travel through the wilderness, a place of lionesses and lions, a place where vipers and poisonous snakes live. All this, and Egypt will give you nothing in return. Egypt's promises are worthless. Therefore, I call her Rahab, the harmless dragon. Verse 8, now go and write down these words, write them in a book. 
They will stand until the end of time as a witness that these people are stubborn rebels who refuse to pay attention to the Lord's instructions. They tell their seers, stop seeing visions. They tell the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all this gloom. Get off your narrow path. Stop telling us about your Holy One of Israel. This is a reply of the Holy One of Israel. Because you despise what I tell you and trust instead in oppression and lies, calamity will come upon you suddenly like a bulging wall that bursts and falls. In an instant it will collapse and come crashing down. You will be smashed like a piece of pottery, shattered so completely that there won't be a piece big enough to carry coals from a fireplace or a little water from the well. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But only the swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee. You will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. Though the Lord give you adversity for food and suffering for drink, He will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear Him. Right behind you a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, Good riddance! Then the Lord will bless you with rain at planting time. There will be wonderful harvests and plenty of pasture land for your livestock. The oxygen, uh, sorry, the oxen and the donkeys that till the ground will eat good grain. It's chaff blown away by the wind. In that day, when your enemies are slaughtered and the towers fall, there will be streams of water flowing down every mountain and hill. The moon will be as bright as the sun, and the sun will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven days in one. So it will be when the Lord begins to heal his people and cure the wounds he gave them. Interesting passage. So what did the small crocodile say to the bigger crocodile? Anyone know? My dad's bigger than your dad. You see, there's always a bigger one around, isn't there? And this is the case when it came to Judah. Judah was in a big pickle because there were three blocks of power and a few minor ones around, but three major blocks of power around when Judah was going through this specific time of prophecy. There were the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Egyptians. And they all wanted that bit of land that Israel was on and Judah was on. 
So they were having a real problem. It wasn't just a thing of the imaginations. It was a real problem they were going through. And so they had to find a solution. And what was the human solution? We'll go to the biggest one. My dad's stronger than your dad. And so Judah sent off, as we read in scriptures there, they sent off camel loads and donkey loads of treasures all the way down to Egypt with a treaty to be signed and saying, please protect us. We want to come in under your protection as Egypt. So that seems to be the real problem, right? Today's language, we call it situation ethics. It's a problem, so I solve it humanly. Situation ethics. But that wasn't the real problem. And Scripture spells it out for us in verse 1. What was the heart of their problem? The heart of the problem was something else. Look at the first line. What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You see, the heart of the problem was their rebellious hearts. And if you follow on verse 1 and through to verse 3, we find that they had done various things. What had they done? And I've got to gloss over this chapter. You'll realize in the time we got this morning. They'd made plans contrary to God's plans. Their plans seemed good to them, but their plans were contrary to God's plans. They'd formed a partnership or an alliance. Very interestingly, says Scripture here in the Old Testament, not directed by my Spirit, says the Lord. The Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. They hadn't listened to God's Spirit. They'd made their own plans. They'd formed this allegiance, this partnership with Egypt. By doing that, they'd accumulated, says Scripture, they'd literally piled up sin on sin before the Lord. They hadn't consulted God, they'd just acted, says this passage. Judah had turned to another helper. They'd forgotten their current helper. Who was their current helper? Lord God Almighty. They turned their backs on God and turned to a human helper. A powerful emperor. They turned to another helper. In other words, they turned to Egypt. What's the significance of Egypt? God had rescued them from Egypt. Amazingly. And they'd forgotten. And, and this is the more sad thing, they'd put their trust in another. It speaks here of broken relationships. The relationship with God wasn't what it should be. They'd broken that relationship and they'd formed a relationship with Pharaoh. They'd come under the protection of a mere man, taking themselves out under the protection of Almighty God. There's broken relationship. And what was the enemy going to do to him? They thought he was their friend. God says, he's your enemy, verse 3. He will bring humiliation and disgrace on you. That's all. Because humans are always in it for themselves. Pharaoh wasn't going to see their good. Pharaoh was going to remember Egyptian history. These are the very slaves who escaped and they drowned a whole army. I'll get at them. And also, says our text, they tried to hide in his shade, his influence, his protection. When God had promised them as a nation, Psalm 121 verse 5 to 6... 
This is the Lord's promise to Israel and Judah. He had said to them, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. And here they take themselves out under God's protection and they wanted the shade, the protection of a human ruler. Their rebelliousness had started when? When they'd made that transaction? No. Verse 9 says, Their rebelliousness started when they refused to hear God's instructions to him. That's the root of it. The moment we stop listening to God and his instructions, that's where rebelliousness starts in us. Not the same with these people. They're just older people wearing different clothes to you and I. And so what did they tell their prophets? Verses 10 to 11. Let's read that. Really interesting because it's not much different today. They said to their prophets, stop seeing visions. In other words, stop asking the Lord to give you visions for us. And what else did they say? Don't tell us to do what's right. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all this gloom. Get off your narrow path. Stop telling us about your Holy One of Israel. What do we find in 2 Timothy, the New Testament variation on this theme? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. This is the Apostle Paul predicting. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. What's different? It's all the same. And so the summary of this, of Judah's problem was that they weren't willing to wait on God's answers. So what did they do? They made their own plans. Situation ethics. How did God respond to them? He does various things. If you glance down uh, chapter 30 at verses 12 to 17, he warns them firstly. He says to them, calamity will come on you. You see, God is a God who is a judge, but he's also the God of grace. He must judge sin, but he will also give grace. Grace is love given where no love is has been earned. It's unearned. And so he says, calamity will come. I must deal with your sin. There will be consequences to your actions. There are always consequences to sin. Can't get away from it. Even if you think you've thought of everything. David thought he had thought of everything. King David, when he got Bathsheba alone, who was a married woman, He slept with her. He thought no one had seen him. But the prophet came and said, the Lord has seen you. There will be consequences to your sin, David. You thought you'd got away, but God had seen you. And there will be consequences not just for you, David, but you're in a position of leadership. There will be consequences for all those under you, for the nations, for Israel. There will be a consequence to that poor baby. The baby died. 
There was a consequence to Bathsheba. Her husband got killed by David. Sin always has consequences. And so the Lord says, unexpected calamity will come over you, verse 13. It'll be like a high wall which is bulging out. You've seen those walls that haven't been built properly. And suddenly, when you least expect it, that wall breaks. And it shatters everything in its path. Calamity will come on you. You need to see these Old Testament pictures. That wall will collapse and it will suddenly fall with with a loud crash, says verse 13. And you will be smashed. And there won't be a small portion left of you, not big enough to carry coals from the from a fireplace to another fireplace. Or a little bit of water from the well to go to your home. Not even a small part will be left. You see the thorough calamity? It'll be overwhelming, says verse 14. In other words, to put it in English, it will be the end of your world. So there's a calamity. It's overwhelming, it's unexpected. When you least expect it. And then, very interestingly, verses 15 to 17, the solution is given in the middle of the judgment. What's the solution to Judah's problem? Here it is. It says, verse 15 to 17, return to me. Right in the middle of this judgment is grace. Return to me, says who? Says the sovereign Lord. Two names given to the, to the, of God there. The one is God's name for His sovereignty, Adonai. The other one is Yahweh, the one who is almighty, redeeming Lord of the armies. Return to me, says the sovereign Lord. Rest in me, says the sovereign Lord. He's speaking about an active submission here, an active trust in the Lord. Rest in me. You're not just resting, you're resting in me, says the Lord. Do you see the active component of this rest and trust? We trust in God alone. In the middle of calamity. And in that is your real strength. What? In that quiet waiting on God. In that confidence in His strength. That's where your real strength is. In the middle of calamity. And here's the tragedy. If you read on, verses 16 to 17, here's a tragedy. Our text says, yet you would not. Hey, don't point fingers at them. You and I are exactly the same. In the middle of when God is giving us direction in hard times, we go for the shortcut. Yet you would not. You rebelled against me, says Instead of quietly trusting me, you made your own plan. What does God do? Does he wipe them off the face of the earth? No, you wouldn't listen. That's it. You've had your three chances. No. What does he do? Verse 18 to 25. He extends grace to rebels. His grace extends to those who will not listen. You've got to see the heart of God in this. Verse 18, look at what he says. And I'll be slowing down on this verse now, all right? We've been glossing over the rest of the chapter, but here we have to slow down. Verse 18. Look at what the Lord says. He says, So the Lord must wait for you to come to him 
so he can show you his love and compassion. The Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. And the word used here is the Lord must earnestly wait for you to come to him. What is earnestly wait for you? It's the same, it's the same sense of expectation which is not uh, not knowing what's going to happen, but waiting for someone else to respond. The Lord earnestly waits for you to come to Him. It's the same as the, the father was of the prodigal son. His son was out flaunting and spending the money and wasting himself away. What was the father doing? The scripture says he was waiting there every day going out watching, is my son coming today? Is my son coming today? You see the heart of the father? It's earnest love, earnest waiting. This text says today, and that's what really hit me, is the Father, our Father, earnestly waits for you and I to come to Him and to put aside our rebellious hearts and to be repentant before Him, to be humble before Him. This is not a passive waiting. The Lord doesn't sit there waiting like this for us while we are coming back. It's an act of waiting. The Lord, and this is what He does, He withdraws His hand on high till He has mercy on us. What is that? If you're a parent here, you would have taught your kids to ride bikes, right? In the good old days when they just had two wheels, no batteries. And you, you get your hands on that child and you try and teach them to ride that bike, right? But there comes a moment when they keep saying, I want to do it myself, I want to do it myself. Or maybe it was just my daughter. And then you say, okay. Here you go. And there they go and they usually come off. Or they go for a while and then come off. Is that a no control situation? No. You are still there. You are in control. But you are letting them experience the consequences of where they're at in their abilities. It's controlled. You're not going to do it so that they run over a cliff. You're going to do it so that they run into a bush. It's a soft landing. Oh, sorry. No, says Don. Some hard fathers here. But the Lord passively, he doesn't passively wait he is still the judge, and what he does is he withdraws his hand from us till he gets up again as judge and then shows us mercy. My erring, rebellious child, I've let you run the consequences of your life, Judah. Now I will stand up and I will show you mercy as judge. He leaves us until we get to the end of ourselves. And we can't go on anymore. I've had people in my office like that. Life has hit them so hard, they're at the end of themselves. And where do they turn? God, if there's a God, help me. I've heard it more than once. You might have experienced that in your life. God leaves us, and then he shows his rebels mercy. Fantastic, isn't it? Do you see the heart of God? He waits for us to come to him. 
And this is sovereign God who knows the end from the beginning. He waits for you and I to walk to Him and humbly come before Him. We heard about this last week, didn't we? About being humble before the Lord. Not just before Him, but in our relationships to each other too. So there's obviously a theme coming through from the Lord for us as a church. And then, says the ESV, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. You see, in your desperate situation, the Lord appears to do nothing, but then he assumes his position of judge in order that he can show you mercy. The NLT says, so he can show you his love and compassion. Do you see the heart of God? He says, hey, Calvin, yes, you're a rebel, but I am your God. I will show you mercy. Why would the Lord do this for a rebel? The answer is in our text. Because he is a faithful God. We are the faithless ones. He doesn't change. And so what's the conclusion? The conclusion in the passage says this. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Says verse 18. This is where the human waiting comes in. God waits for us to come to Him and to humbly bow ourselves in repentance before Him. The text says we must wait on His answer. We must wait on His help. There's a help, there's a waiting on our side too. We are not to jump to our own solutions. Wait on His answer. The, long, the longest thing to do is to wait on the Lord. And I know it sounds airy fairy because how do I see what the Lord's answer is? I don't know. You wait. He'll show you. Is that a passive waiting? No. We step out with what God has given us and we act on that. And that's all. Don't think too far ahead. Act on what he's given you to do. What did God tell Israel to do? I want you to obey my instructions. That's a day-by-day -day thing. That's all they had to do. He was going to look after them as a nation. What did God tell Judah to do in this case? Act on my instructions, day-by-day. -day. Be faithful to me, day-by-day. -day. I will show you what I have for you and the plans I have for you. What does he tell you and I in 2023? Step out. Trust in quiet confidence on the Lord. Do what He's put in front of you, but don't look too far ahead. Obey His instructions. Nothing's changed. Wait on His help. How will He help? Verse 19 says, look at the answer He gives to Judah. And this was prophetic in this case because it hadn't happened yet. It was going to come their way. He said, verse 19, there will be no more tears. Look at the gracious response from God. Verse 19. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. Verse 20. He'll be a hands-on teacher. Though the Lord give you adversity for food. Look who's giving the adversity. Look who's taking his hands off so you can ride the bike yourself. It's the Lord. 
Though the Lord give you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. It's interesting, that verse. There's this hands-on teacher who's helping us through adversity and suffering. The adversity and suffering he brings our way. What else does he do? Verse 21, he'll be near to us. There's his nearness, the presence of his nearness, and his guidance saying, like a voice just behind us saying, this is the way you should go. Isn't that amazing? I love this. This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Step out and wait for the Lord. He will guide you. That's as practical as I can get on. But we need to be stepping out to hear what he says. And that is some, sometimes a stepping out into the unknown. If I can use that in quotation marks. It's known to him, it's unknown to me. I need to step out. And the Lord will guide me. What did Jesus promise us? John chapter 15 verse 26. He said, I will send you the helper. Who is the helper? The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Nothing different to the Old Testament. He was still the spirit of truth. And what was the result of listening to God? Verse 23. Actual change took place in these people. He said, you will get rid of your idols. You will get rid of the source of your rebelliousness. You will stop worshipping other gods. And you will then experience the Lord's continual blessings. There will be future hope for you. Verses 23 to 26. We'll quickly go through those. He will bless you at planting time. You'll have wonderful harvest. The oxen and the donkeys will till the ground. You'll eat the produce that you've produced. And many more there. The sun will be so intense for you that it will be like seven days all in one. And you get all that sun all at once. Not rain, sun. You see, the Lord is there for us. There is future hope. All we need to do today is to trust Him for today. To put our hope in Him. Have that quiet rest in God. To wait on His answer. And He waits on us to come before Him with humble hearts. Hearts that are subject to Him. His Word. And our feet and our hands obeying His instructions. Every day. What do we do with this passage in 2023? I had to say this. We wait for the God who waits for us. It sounds easy. Here we are at the start of 2023. We've done nearly most of January already. But this text teaches us this morning that the Lord earnestly waits for you and I. He expectantly waits for you and I to come humbly before Him to have humble hearts. Hearts that have asked Him to forgive us. Hearts of repentance. Hearts of humility. And so the, the practical question I ask you and I is, where are my eyes at the start of this year? I've started out January. Where are my eyes? Are they on God or other gods already? It's going to sow the seed for what comes later in the year. Where are your eyes? Are they fixed on God? Lord, be my vision. Or are they already on other gods? And how are you going to help yourself through this difficult financial year? 
Are your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ in your practical Christian living every day as you and I obey His instructions? In January 2023, are we obeying God's instructions or have I already drifted away from His Word in my everyday obedience? If you start badly, you're going to end badly. The Lord waits for you and I to humble ourselves before Him. And if we don't, He might bring adverse circumstances our way to force our eyes back to Him. Why? Because He wants to teach us. In the end, what does He want from us? He wants holy humility before Him. And then He will restore that broken relationship. He waits earnestly for you and I. What do we do in response? We earnestly wait for the Lord. Same expectant hope in Him. It's an active hope. It's a hope which says every day, Lord, I want to trust you. I can't understand, but I will trust you. The wind and the waves are breaking in on me, Lord, but I will trust that you know what you're doing and that you will take us through. And how do we do that in practice? We don't take shortcuts. We don't make unholy alliances, whether that's with people or ideas. Don't shortcut on the truth. We don't just jump to man-made solutions when trouble comes our way. What do we do? We do what Judah didn't do. We consult with the Lord. Are there decisions you've got to make this year? Consult with the Lord before you make them. Don't first make your decisions and then ask the Lord's blessing. It doesn't work that way. Consult the Lord and then make your decisions. That's the order. And when things go wrong against you, consult the Lord before reacting to those circumstances. Just spend some time before Him. Quieten yourself among the tumbling walls and waves to mix up two pictures. Stay faithful in your relationship with Him. Don't go hiding in the shade of another God. He says to you and I, Blessed are those who meet His earnest waiting with their own earnest waiting. How can we trust God so much? Because there's no one or nothing bigger than my dad. And my dad loves me. Let's pray. Lord, you are here with us this morning. And you've brought us your word, Lord. You've been bringing us your word through this whole of January. Lord, help us to open our ears to what you're saying. There are some common themes coming through. And one of those big themes is to live humble lives before you. Lives which acknowledge that you are our God. You are the God who loves us. 
We don't have to trust in anyone or anything else. You are the God who is almighty Jehovah. You are the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God. And you've said, trust in me. I hold your future. No man, no institution, no bank balance holds your future. I hold your future. So trust in me. Consult me. Love me. Obey me. And I will be your God. And in those times when you are unfaithful, says the Lord, I will be faithful. I will guide you. I will discipline you. I will bring you back on the right path. I will be there through the, through the, the consequences of what you've done. But I am your God. I will show you grace where it's least deserved. Because I am the faithful God, the one who loves you. Thank you, God. Thank you that we serve a living God, one who cares about us, one who loves us. And Lord, as we go out in this week to do the work that you've prepared beforehand for us, may we know that you go with us. When things don't go according to our plans, Lord, may we look for your plans. But may we be open to that guiding voice that says to us, go this way. May we then step out and know that you're with us and confidently do so. And you will guide us through the next circumstance and the next because you are the God of circumstances. Thank you, God. Be with us, we pray. Amen.